Okay. So hereby we do know that we know him who keep his commandments. To me, this is a very practical, hands-on uh, reality about the Christian life. And honestly, that's that's what appeals to me. Uh, you know, I love the the the, the um, I don't want to call it theory. You know, there are folks who like to talk the high doctrines and they really get into some of those uh, details of God's Word. And I, I love to hear that, you know, but I also, okay, that's wonder. but what's, how does that, how is that practical to me? You know, how is that practical in, in my relationship with God and so forth and so on? So what we have here is a very practical, hands-on reality. Uh, you know, not this uh, emotional mysticism that's becoming so prevalent today if you're paying attention. Uh, there's also a lot of ceremonial pomp and circumstance in some, in some uh, denominations. Um, you know, but what John is getting ready to talk about here is living uh, life and living it more abundantly in Christ. And I don't know about you, but hey, I'm all for that. You know, that's, that, I'm all for that. Um, so this is actually involving the Lord in your daily life. Do you involve God in your daily life? When you get up in the morning, is, is he a, is he a part of that life or do you, you know, kind of shoebox him away? You know, give him maybe 15 minutes in the morning and then you're good? Well, that's not, that's not, that's not living a Christian life and that's not fellowshipping with God. And so we involve God in our daily life and how do we do that? Well, through the knowledge that we gain about the Lord through His Word. Right? So the more you're in God's Word, the more you're going to learn about God and the more you learn about God, the more you want Him involved in your life. That type of thing. First uh, John 1, uh, 6 says, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So on your study guide, uh, the first blank is this. Li- uh, religion will always focus on the externals. Religion will always focus on the externals. Religion only addresses the external condition of man and not the more important internal matter of the heart. Um, Religion will always work toward reformation of the behavior uh, rather than the actual transformation of that man, the transformation of the heart of man. They're, they're always, um, they're always working on the outward behavior. Uh, to, to, to reform someone, when you think about it, is simply to change their behavior. Alright? Uh, without changing that old Adamic nature. And that's the problem. It's the old Adamic nature. That's the whole problem right there. Uh, yeah, you can get somebody to change their behavior, but that old Adamic nature, it's still gonna function the way it always functioned, and it, it'll always think the way it's, it, 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 you know, it may be dressed up a little bit in, in some morality or civility, but it's still the fallen old nature of, of Adam that, that's at work here. And that old Adamic nature, it'll continue to do the kinds of things that it, that it always has done. It'll just be done more sociably or more polished or more, you know, polite. But it's still the old Adamic uh, nature. Uh, to transform someone, 
that's only a that's only a work that God can do. All right, and that's that's what being born again is all about. That old Adamic nature is is put to death. It's put to death. It has to be put to death. Uh, it has to be put to death, and and it can no longer have a free reign in a person's life unless you let it. You realize that you allow the old Adamic nature to have its way. If you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. But if you're a new creature in Christ, that old Adamic nature, it's, it's, it's done for. It's, it's crucified. It's, it no longer has the power or the control in your life that it demands to have. Romans chapter 6 verse 3 says, Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Verse 5, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man, that Adamic nature, is crucified with him. That the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So that old Adamic nature, if you're a born-again child of God, that, that old Adamic nature has been put to death. Has been put to death. And religion does not, nor ever will have this power of transformation that being a born-again child of God possesses. As many as received him, to them gave he power... To become the sons of God. That's John chapter 1 and verse 12. Right? Only those who are born again by the Spirit through faith in Christ will possess this power. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Verse 9. Not of works, least any man should boast. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So it is a work of God. It is God's spirit now indwelling in us that gives us the power over that old Adamic nature. And as I said before, when the old Adamic nature takes control, it's because you allow it. It's because you allow it. And the same is true in regards to worship. So on your study guide... Uh, Worship in most religions is all show and no substance. All show and no substance. It might be according tradition. It might be according to superstition. It might be ceremonialism or ritualism. But it's all, it's all show. There's no, there's no substance. You know, in some denominations, we see this, this great parade of costume individuals waving incense around and walking in step with a a lot of pop and pomp and circumstance, you know, quite, quite a display, quite a display. In other denominations, there's all this shouting and this whooping and this rolling in the aisles and running around on the walls and all this kind of stuff. You know, there's all that going on. Just some sort of ecstatic display. In other religions, what do you have? You've got prayer wheels. You've got flags fluttering in the wind. You've got uh, paper stuck in crevices of walls. 
Hey, we even have pre-written prayers for every event of your life if you want to if you want to go that way. You know, if 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 you know, if you if you want to bless a field, there's a prayer for blessing a field. So we've got we've got that kind of stuff. You know, it's all it's all some folks, you know, they they observe certain days or certain weeks. What is it in the springtime? It's Lent. I think is one of the things that people observe. You know? Christmas time is that day. Yeah, there's all sorts of things. All sorts of things out there. Paul said in Colossians 2.16, he says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. You see, with a lot of folks, worship is more an event than a genuine expression of love and gratitude from the heart. It's more of an event. And that's not what God intended worship to be. And uh, especially in our Laodicean church age, uh, what we witness of worship is, is, is really nothing more than a reflection of one's customs or one's culture. We see it in our music. We see it in the way we... We have our worship services. It's all about one's culture or one's customs. So on your study guide, religion never provides assurance of God's love. Due to the assertion of religion that man must earn God's love. Religion will never provide assurance of God's love. Uh, they, it's all You have to earn it. You have to earn God's love, whether it's good works or sacrifice or some good deed performed by man, you know, uh, some spark of divinity that's inside uh, to perform good works. You know, the, the religion will not give you an assurance of God's love. I remember witnessing to several individuals. And I would witness to them about God's love, but because of their particular religion that they were a part of, they couldn't comprehend. They just couldn't comprehend God's love uh, being a gift. It's an act of grace. Uh, More than once I've had people tell me, no, I have to earn God's love, which I think is a shame. I think it's a shame. And that's what that's what religion is all about. Man must earn his way. I know you guys have heard this. There's two major religions in the world. The religion of, of grace and the religion of works. And some people believe they have to beg God and, and plead for God to love them and in order to appease him. And that's to me that's tragic. That's tragic. As we looked at uh, Jesus Christ the righteous as our advocate and our propitiation. You know, uh, he loves us because he loves his son. And because we love his son, he loves us. And uh, one of my favorite verses in the scriptures is Ephesians 1 6. We are accepted in the beloved. And I'm very grateful for that because <laughs> I can be quite the scallywag sometimes, you know. So I am glad that I'm accepted in the beloved. And this is something else, folks. The grace of God will always go against the grain of, of a works-based religion. The grace of God will always go against the grain of works-based religion. 
whenever I've witnessed to somebody, that's that's usually one of the main things that comes up. You know, it's just they just can't grasp the grace of God because they believe they have to earn their way to heaven. And this going against the, the, the grain, we see that in, in practically every epistle that we read of in the New Testament. That's what the book of Galatians is all about. That's what Colossians emphasizes. Uh, the book of Romans, we even see that in Romans. And we read of this in the history of the church in the book of Acts. Wherever the Judea, Judea, uh, the Jews, <laughs> Heard of Paul preaching of the grace of God? Guess who was there to resist that grace? Yeah. Yeah, so that's... And we observe that in our own time with the cults and the various religions uh, who seek to pervert or thwart the, the gospel of grace. So on your study guide, it is Jesus Christ that ensures is your blank our acceptance with the Father and makes possible our fellowship with the Father. It's all about Jesus, as the song says. It's all about Jesus. It's upon this rock of our foundation, Jesus Christ, that our salvation is secure. It's through His Spirit that His truth is made evident to us. And it's, and it's by His truth that we can abide in fellowship with the Father and with the Son. It's all about Christ. It's all about Christ. And I'm even going to be as bold as say this, you know. You cannot fellowship with God, one, without being saved, two, without abiding in the Word. There's no other way this can be accomplished because this is God's way. This is God's way. 1 John 2, 3 says, And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. It's so vital. The word of God is so vital in our fellowship with God. And it doesn't have anything to do with assuring that we're saved, but it has everything to do with our joy in fellowshipping with God. So, on your study guide, the word hereby, this is your blank, is pointing out something. In that it is directing our attention to something in this passage that is specific to the matter of our knowing God. So pointing and specific. The context is still based in 1 John chapter 1, uh, 5 through 7. This then is the message that which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. In fact, this entire section uh, that we're looking at in regards to this, 1 John chapter 1, 2, and 3, look at the very last verse of uh, last two verses of chapter 3. 
Last two verses of chapter 3 of 1 John says, And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, salvation, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him, and hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. So this whole section is concluded with this very same truth, this very same statement. So on your study guide, hereby we do know that we know him, this addresses the matter of knowing someone. Rather than our needing to earn something, and this knowing someone is perfected by our keeping something. 1 John 4.16, And we have known and believed the love that God is to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Now we're going to unpack that when we get there. But on your study guide, the word perfect speaks of that which matures or ripens and gets better and stronger and more Christ-like as it does. And that's really what we're shooting for, is to mature in Jesus Christ. You know, I've got a picture of a cluster of grapes up here. And uh, where I used to live in Greece... Uh, there was a vineyard nearby, and I could watch the process of this vineyard as the vines, at first they looked dead because they were severely pruned back. But after time, the growth would take place, and then you would begin to see these little flowers, and then these little flowers would start transforming into these little tiny clusters of fruit and then these these clusters of fruit would gain nourishment from from the warmth of the sun and the moisture up through the soil through the vine and then they would ripen and these things would just take on this wonderful color and they become you know beneficial for sustenance and then they would come and they would harvest this stuff and you know the Lord was very accurate in when he said I am the vine and ye are the branches we have to abide in him in order to what? bear fruit if we don't abide in him we're not going to bear fruit we're not going to mature we're not going to be we're not going to age into something beneficial and that's what our keeping his commandments will do in our spiritual life as we gain moisture and nourishment from the word of God we we ripen. <laughs> we become, you know, perfect and mature and and fruitful. Some thirty fold, some sixty fold, some a hundred fold. You know, we all produce certain levels of fruit, but the important thing is is what? To be fruitful, to produce fruit. That's the important thing. Psalms 1.3 says, And he shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. This is a spiritual principle throughout God's word. To abide in his word. To abide in his word. And that's, 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 necess- that's a necessity for our fellowship with God. 
Now, I, I know I keep hammering on this, but in the church today, uh, it doesn't seem as though uh, God's word is, is as, as a priority as it should be in many churches. You know, Ron and I were talking on the way to church of a particular congregation that they're really heavy on the worship and the praise and the entertainment and very light on the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that makes a, you know, that might make a church that's very friendly and, and worshipful, but very shallow. Very shallow in its in its beliefs and its faith. As with light, you know, as um, we need God's word to promote this perfection, to promote this growth. And without it, what will happen? What is the opposite of of growth? Well, you stunt your growth, don't you? Yeah, if you deprive the vine of the necessary moisture and the and the sunlight. And the nutrients from the, what's going to happen to that to that fruit? It's it's just not going to develop. It's just not going to develop. And as with light, there's also dark. Look here in verse uh, four. First John two three says, and hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. And then verse four, he that saith I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. We're still talking about a brother. Right? We're still talking about somebody who knows Christ as their Savior. But there's a different attitude here in regards to God's Word. There's a different attitude. It's the same attitude that we read in 1 John 1, 6. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. So we're talking about a completely different attitude. Still a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ, but there's a there's an attitude of heart there that's going to hinder their growth. So on your study guide, and here's a big fancy word, John will always juxtapose, J-U-X-T-A-P-O-S-E, the sincere against the insincere as well as the genuine from the false. Juxtapose. That means to place together to show the contrast or the difference. And John does that throughout this epistle. Now John, I don't think John would be a very popular person in many churches today. Because John comes right out and calls this person a liar. Now you try and do that sometime and see what kind of reaction you're going to get. But John comes right out and calls this person a liar. This is someone who is not only not telling the truth, but they're not doing the truth, or they're not living in accordance to the truth. A liar is is one who breaks faith, right? Uh, He's a deceiver, or another word would be a hypocrite. One who says one thing and turns around and, and does something opposite to that. Right? I believe, uh, again, I believe John is addressing a believer. He says, brethren, in verse 7. And he's addressing believers both the sincere and the insincere, the hypocrite and the honest. Because that's what we dealt with in 1 John 6-10. through 10, Is to be honest in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but I... 
I would hate if somebody were to call me a liar. Especially if it weren't true, but maybe even more so if it were true. You know, that would make me feel very, very uncomfortable. And to be called a liar here is very serious stuff. And John, he doesn't mince words. He doesn't mince words at all. Now he says this for a reason. He says this to jolt the conscience of the one who's playing this game. He says this to jolt the conscience. So on your study guide, this is meant to prompt self-examination on the part of someone who claims to know God, but in behavior and attitude towards sin or the word of God, their life says differently. Their life says differently. What is that old saying? Action speaks louder than words. Well, some people's actions really speak louder than their claim to be in fellowship with God. And again, John is just doing this to jolt the conscience. Because why? Because, you know, you're really forfeiting something marvelous, something wonderful that God has provided, and that is fellowship with him. James 1.22 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. We can deceive ourselves. We can think, hey, we're okay when we're really not. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. And he beholds himself and goes his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty... And continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So James is essentially saying the same thing that John is saying. If you want to know the joy of fellowship with God, then abide in his word. Keep his word. Keep his word. It's not an issue of salvation, folks. It's an issue of your personal relationship with God. It's a you know, in every relationship there are conditions to be met. In every relationship there are you guys know this, you know, in a in a marriage relationship, in a in a friendship, in a work relationship. There's all, you know, there are certain conditions and when these conditions are violated, what happens to that relationship? It suffers, doesn't it? Sure, it suffers. And there are conditions, if you nurture certain conditions in a relationship, what happens with that relationship? It flourishes. It becomes a better relationship. Unfortunately, so many people take lightly their relationship with God, and they think nothing of violating these um, conditions. And one of those conditions is keeping His commandments. Keeping his commandments. You know, a man may be married to his wife, but if he displays no love for his wife, even though they may be married by law, you know, you really can't call this a relationship. It's more of an arrangement. It's more of an arrangement. If a husband doesn't love his wife as Christ loved his, loved the church, then, you know, what will happen in that relationship? It'll suffer. It'll suffer. You know, and yet there are some of God's people who I dare say treat God the same way. They take him for granted. 
They just simply take him for granted. He, you know, he, they know he's always there. They know he's provided them his word, but they don't take advantage of that relationship. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Now, someone might, someone might say, hey, wait a minute, I thought we had a grace relationship with God. And yet you're telling me there are certain conditions in this relationship with God. Well, that's true from Genesis to Revelation, folks. You know, this is, this is not something I'm making up. It was true with the nation of Israel, and it's true with his church. You violate those conditions, and your relationship with God is going to suffer. It just, they just are. And we do have a grace relationship with God. By grace, we are saved. I mean, grace is the whole reason why we have a relationship with God in the first place. You know, and praise God for that. It's on your study guide. But grace does not mean a relationship where anything goes until the whistle blows, like Pastor Brian likes to say. Or we are to be indifferent to God's expectations in this relationship. It's always so one-sided. You know, we have certain expectations from God, but what about God's expectations for us? You know, a lot of people will leave the church because God failed to meet some expectation they had. Well, they got things backwards. Also on your study guide, this is not grace, this is license. License. Really? Well, bummer. Well, write it down. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. Maybe I need a second person to review this stuff. I do. I review this stuff all the time to make sure everything is included, but I always miss. I do rewrite it four or five times, don't I? Yeah. So anyway, you know, when you take uh, advantage of God, that's not grace. That's license. You know, that's license. Instead, license legally says it grants you the ability to do something you don't ordinarily have the right to. That's what a license is. Yeah, and there's that's the way a lot of people treat God. You know, uh, you know. And we don't need, that's, that's just wrong. That's just a wrong, wrong heart attitude toward God. Now let me see if I can get you back on track here. First John 2, 3, and hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. So we know John is speaking about conditions in this fellowship. And we know he's speaking about conditions in this relationship because of the word if. Am I there now? Woohoo! So the word if, introduces a conditional clause that highlights a precondition. This precondition is the keeping of his commandments, not for one's salvation. The condition for salvation is to believe, but rather for fellowship. And the condition of fellowship is walking in agreement with God. If you're not walking in agreement with God, if you're not walking in light as he is in the light, then folks, very clearly, you're not in fellowship. 
Very clearly, you're not in fellowship. If you do not meet this condition of keeping his commandments, of walking in the light, right? Then that truth is not active in your life. And if that truth is not active in in your life, I don't care what you say, you're not in fellowship with God. You're not in fellowship with God. Now, that's some harsh words to some people. Because their fellowship may be based on emotion. Or their fellowship may be based on their attendance in church. Or their fellowship may be based on their friends in the church. Or some other... But if it's not in compliance to God's word, you're not in fellowship. You're not in fellowship. They may be saved and heaven bound. But if you have this disrespectful... Uh, attitude toward God's word if you are insubordinate to his authority over your life you know if you're one of those folks that you know you're going to do whatever you want to do irregardless of what God's word says then you can't be in fellowship with God because you're going to be out of compliance with his word that's not my opinion folks that's what John is saying here so on your study guide A mere profession of knowing God is insufficient in coming to know God in fellowship if one's walk is contrary to God's word. You know, I may profess to know a certain person, but what what level is my knowing? That all depends on how much time I spend with that person, how much I get to know that person. You know, quite frankly, I know my wife better than I know James, but I still know James. See what I'm saying? If I spend time with a person, speaking with them, going through life's experience with them, the ups and the downs, the highs and the lows, you know, then I'm going to get to know that person in a more intimate way. The same is true in regards to our relationship with the Father. If you spend no time in His Word, no time in obeying His Word, no time in ministering with His Word, then you're not going to come to know Him. Because that's the way He designed it. And if you go contrary to His design, then I don't know what it is you have, but it's not biblical fellowship with God. Again, those are black and white words, but that's the way I take John teaching this, which constantly has me evaluating. And that's a good thing to do, to constantly evaluate. Okay, where am I at? What's my motive? What's going on? And sometimes it's not pretty, (laughs) but we're human, right? That's why we've got God's Word. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. Now, who in the Bible was called the friend of God? Abraham. Abraham was called the friend of God. Why was he called the friend of God? Because he believed God. Because he believed God. He believed God. When, when God told him to take Isaac, his son, up into the mountain, Abraham says to the young men that was, went with them, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. He didn't say, 
I myself will come again, but Isaac won't be with me. He didn't say that, did he? Why is that? Because Abraham believed God. Abraham told, uh, God told Abraham, hey, Isaac is the seed. He's the one that the covenant will be passing through. So Abraham knew God well enough to know that God, whatever God was going to do, Isaac was okay. In fact, in Hebrews 11:17, by faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. He went ahead and offered him up, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That's what he was basing the whole thing on. He believed what God said. Verse 19, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. So Abraham had so much faith in God that he knew if he slit Isaac's throat that God was going to raise Isaac from the dead. Abraham was a man that trusted in God. Abraham was a man that obeyed God. Abraham was a man who worshipped God. Everywhere Abraham went in that land, what was one of the first things he did? He built an altar. Abraham was a friend of God. Abraham knew God. That's abiding. On your study guide. One cannot separate worship from faith and faith from obedience. And obedience is the pathway to friendship with God. Hereby do we know God because we keep his commandments. What is that? One of my favorite hymns, Trust and Obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. John fifteen twelve. Jesus said, This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Just like Abraham. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. You want to be a friend of God? Then keep his commandments. You know, earlier I made the comment that a mere profession of knowing God is insufficient in coming to know God in fellowship. If one's walk is contrary to God's word, you will not know God in fellowship. That is a black and white statement, I know. But it's truth, and sometimes truth is black and white. You see, you see now, folks, where the medicine is stronger in regards to one's fellowship rather than one's proof of salvation? Do you see how much stronger the medicine is now? With what John is saying here, especially in the end of the Laodicean age, folks, this is going to be a challenge for us. That's why he talks about the seducers. That's why he's talking about the seducers. One of the strongest rebukes that Jesus had for the Jews in his day 
who claim to have Abraham as their father and God as their father. John 8:42, Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word, ye are of your father the devil. And the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. And what Jesus said of these men came true, didn't it? Because these very men were the very men who slandered and falsely accused Jesus before Pontius Pilate, and they were responsible for his death. Now, was that the work of the Father or the work of the devil? It's on your study guide. This is the way of the Gnostic in the churches today. The spirit of the Laodicean age is to have a great love of everything associated to the experiences of religion, the events and the ceremonies, but not God of the Bible or his word or his work. Many a time I've challenged religionists about what they do, show them what God's word says. You know what they do? They reject God's word for their tradition or ceremony or whatever it is. So on your study guide, it is possible for people to become very religious, but never truly come to know God. Now it may be not so much that they're not saved, but they've somehow formulated in their denomination or whatever it is, uh, what they think is a right way to worship and fellowship with God. We're seeing that a lot. And I'm going to call out names. We're seeing that in charismatic churches and Pentecostal churches and some of these other, they call them high religion churches with their ceremonies and stuff. Proverbs 21.2 says, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts. What have I always said? It is always the issue of the heart. That's what God looks on. That's what God looks on. The word pondereth refers to weighing something out to ensure it meets an acceptable standard of measure. The Lord pondereth the hearts. He's looking at the real motive. Why are you doing what you are doing? What are you really all about? Now, I can fool most of you. Some I can't. But God, he sees right through that masquerade, doesn't he? He sees right through that masquerade. You know, folks are always looking for different things. A woman came to our church one Sunday, asked, you know, and I asked her what she thought of it. And she said she liked the preaching, but uh, she said the the, um, the praise music didn't move her. And she said... Uh, she said, "If the praise, if the praise music doesn't move her, then she doesn't. She doesn't think that's the church for her. Irregardless of you know the sound teaching from God's Bible, if the praise music didn't move her, then this isn't. The, and she never came back. She never came back. 
And I know you've heard me harp on this a lot, but what is passed off for worship in many churches today is anything and everything that truly reflects Christ. And I have to wonder sometimes, and I'm I'm not picking on any churches, I just wonder sometimes what passes for praise is really pleasing to God. Especially when you get a guitar player that turns it into a rock show and he's laying on his back and he's picking the... i got to wonder about some of that stuff. I really do. Well, I'm not... Yeah, but I have seen it. And it's also amazing to me how much bad doctrine can be introduced into churches because it's tagged to a catchy tune. Which to me makes perfect sense because Lucifer, he was the choir director in heaven. I mean, what better way to interject his his false doctrine into a church? So again, you know, in our Laodicean church age, we just got to be careful. Let's not turn our worship into entertainment or exciting, you know, the emotions or sprinkling, sprinkling in shallow lyrics just because, you know, they make a good rhyme. Let's be sincere in our worship. Let's be sincere in our worship. You know, a lot of folks come away from this type of thing. You know, they're all stirred up in their, they call their spirits, but there's little change in their life. You know, to me, a real worship service, to me, is a life-changing experience. A life-changing experience. Many times you read in the Word God where people have come face-to-face with the angel of the Lord and they fall on their faces and they come away changed. To me, that's a worship service. When I come away changed. So on your study guide, a mere profession concerning what is felt is insufficient in bringing about a change in one's attitude and behavior and in coming to know God at work in your life to affect these necessary changes. You know, the Jews of John's Gospel knew a whole lot, but that knowing kept them from knowing Jesus Christ. And that can be true of us if we're not careful. On your study guide, in many churches there may be a lot of offering of sacrifices and praise and loud music, the raising of hands and teaching about the Bible, but those who are unwilling to first offer themselves by those who are unwilling to offer themselves as a living sacrifice unto God. I sound like a curmudgeon, don't I? Hard sayings, Jim. Yeah, it's the sincerity of the heart. How many times have people stood up and preached or stood up and sang, but they're unwilling to give themselves as a living sacrifice to God? It's entertainment. And I, I get tired of the entertainment. You know, they may lift up their voices, but they're stingy concerning their hearts. They're stingy concerning their hearts. Time's short, folks. 
The time for playing games is over. It's over. Um, you know, I, I had one fellow tell me this. He said, God saved my soul, but it's my life to do as I see fit. God saved my soul, but it's my life to do with as I see fit. And sadly, there are many, many believers. They may not verbalize that, but they live it. They live it. Now, I'm not talking, you know, you sell everything and, and, and move to Indochina. Or, but what about your daily walk with God? Is he a part of your life? Is he there? It's on your study guide. There is much conformity to this world and little conformity to Christ's image. Instead of compatibility, there is incompatibility. Instead of maturing Christians, many in churches remain in a state of carnal babyhood. Always needy, demanding, seeking attention, becoming a burden to be carried by others. God wants mature believers. He wants grown-up believers. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3.1, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Now, I'm not saying there are times, you know, that you need the extra attention, and you do. And I'm not saying there are times that, you know, you don't get stressed out or pressured, you know, and you, and you need to step back. Man, I've been there. But don't stay there, right? Don't stay there. Take your breather. Get your mind set straight. Pick yourself up. And continue on. But don't stay there. So on your study guide, the key is to be seen in our key verse in 1 John 2.6. That's the word, the key. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. Even as he walked. Is a phrase that must take, we must take under serious condition, consideration. For if we to know God in fellowship, and John tells us, then it's important for us to look at Jesus Christ. You think he was in fellowship with God? You know he was. So on your study guide, take note of that little phrase, as he, in this verse. As he. First John 1 John 1.7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath his hope in him purify himself, even as he's pure. As he, 1 John 3, 7, Little children, let, not, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. 1 John 3.23, And this is his commandment, that you should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. 
1 John 4:17 Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is so are we in this world as he is in the light as he is pure as he is righteous as he gave us commandment to love one another as he is that's our goal John 15:4 Abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself to accept it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. And how do you abide in the vine? You do so through God's word. So on your study guide, to know God and the joy of fellowship is to abide in Christ and to walk as he walked. And this is very practical for us today. Very practical. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. To the husbands, Jesus Christ is our example in the way we love our wives. We are to love our wives even as Christ loved the church. If you're not endeavoring to love your wife as Christ loved the church, then the Bible tells me you're out of fellowship with God. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. Colossians 3, 12, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. You know, a man that led me to the Lord at TWA came to work angry one day. And I asked him, I said, well, what's going on? He said, well, it's my sister. My sister is rebellion. She's in rebellion. She's rejecting, you know, everything that my parents have taught her. She's reject. She's not going to church. She's just rebellion. And I hate her. I hate her for what she's doing to my family. I just hate my sister. And it's funny because that very day I had just read this passage in my uh, morning devotion in Colossians chapter 3. And I said, um, well, you need to learn to forgive your sister. And he shot back in anger. He says, I could never forgive my sister for what she's doing to my family. I said, well, let me show you this verse, what I read this morning. And so I showed him the passage. And after he read it, you could see, you could actually see the Spirit of God working through the countenance in his, on his face. And he said, thank you for showing me that. I needed to be reminded of God's forgiveness for me. That's keeping his commandments, folks. That's dying to self, keeping his commandments, abiding in Christ. You may feel one way. You may think one way, but when you're shown God's word... You let that truth abide in you. You let that truth abide in you. When Jesus laid his battered and shredded back on that rough beam, what was it he said? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And a lot of times people simply don't know what they're doing. So on your study guide. And this will be the last point. When we can forgive through the pain, 
when we can love when that love is unreciprocated then we come to know the joy and fellowship of knowing God for he forgave through his pain and he loves even though he is hated by those who love darkness rather than light when you do that then you will experience knowing the fellowship with God Father,